0: Praise the Lord for the Thompson family and, and you know, if you've ever wondered, now why can't I and why aren't our family a, a little bit more like that? Well, I, I want to talk some about that in a few moments, but first I just want to say welcome. So glad that you are here, whether you're in this room, the West Room, or whether you're in the communion room next door, or whether you're... Online, however, it is that you're here, we're really glad. Why don't you take your Bibles and we're going to go in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, if you need a Bible, the ushers will spot you one. And uh, you can look along there or turn on your device as well. And we'll go to Matthew 18. While you're turning, let me just uh, mention I really hope you'll be here next week because I'm going to introduce you to a new friend of mine who is going to preach to us about prayer. I'll tell you more about that next week. And then uh, in two weeks, Steve Carter will wrap up our resolution series talking about worship on Super Bowl Sunday. And so that'll be a good one. And then we'll be done with the resolutions series. And we're going to move back into a more... uh, um, Expository linear series, working through a whole book, as we have the last two years with Luke and Acts. This year, we're going to go through Genesis, and so that's what we'll start doing three weeks from today. So, um, uh, but today, as we continue in this resolutions series, I I I want to lead with a question that I've been asking the last week or two. And the question is, how do we maintain the motivation to keep the spiritual resolutions that we make? Uh, Like our resolve to to be in the Word, like I illustrated for you uh, several weeks ago, doing something like soap every day, or entering into community and small group, or or saying, you know what, I, I'll be a servant. I'll use what I've got like Clay talked about last week. And I'll jump in and I'll serve and make my own contribution to the whole. Um, and, and particularly as we come to the subject of today, maintaining a generous spirit. How do we keep the resolution to be a generous person? How do we stay motivated for that? So, um In his book, Gospel, J.D. Greer uses the metaphor of of a balloon. He says there's really only two ways to keep a balloon up in the air. The first, if you blow it up with your own breath, you're you're going to have to bat it up in the air and then it's going to start to come down until you're going to whack it back up into the air. And, and a lot of people, he points out, sort of think that's what church is for, right? I need to go back in voluntarily and get smacked back up to, to feeling inspired to follow Christ and stop with the bad habits and start the good habits and spend more time in the word and be more generous and... And so on. But if that's the only way to keep the balloon up in the air, bad news. Because the balloons of our soul, despite how ever motivated we were feeling on Sunday, it starts coming down around Monday, certainly Tuesday and Wednesday and and from there. So that you can hardly get back to Sunday. You need to smack me back up there again, Pastor. But what if there's a second way, Greer points out, a second way that you can fill the balloon, and that is with helium, which will rise on its own. And the Bible has a message that's contained really in one word, which if we could keep it on the forefront of our minds, would serve as helium to the souls, and that word is gospel. And in the next few minutes, what I want to try and do is illustrate for you the power of that word, gospel, and see if we can't begin to convert that into helium for our souls. And we're going to do it by starting in Matthew chapter 28 in verse 23. Looking at one of the uh, more perplexing uh, parables of Jesus. Let me read it to you. Uh, In verse 23. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him, said, be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master, the king, took pity on him. And he canceled the debt and let him go. But then, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. And he said, Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant, he fell down at his knees and he begged, Please be patient with me. I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master, the king, everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I'd had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, Jesus was so good good at spinning out these wild stories using great extremes that compelled his listeners to to sit up and listen. And this one was prompted by a question that Peter had asked Jesus. He had said, I'm wondering how much should we forgive? Like maybe seven times? That's a lot of forgiveness, right? Lord and Jesus says, (laughs) seven times. Peter, how about 70 times? Seven, and then he tells them this story. Now, we know it, it, from our NIV uh, that what what is translated as ten thousand bags of gold, because we can understand bags of gold a little bit better. But in, in the original language, it's better converted uh, or, or uh, translated uh, ten thousand talents. Now, how much would ten thousand talents? be worth in today's terminology. You have to kind of do the conversion to to really begin to understand the the enormity of what Jesus was saying here. Here's how you can think about it. It would take years for the ordinary person to earn one talent. People weren't paid in talents; They were paid in denarii. And so the average person would make, in a day's labor, one, maybe two denarii. It was called a denarius. And it took 6,000 denarii to earn one talent. And so if Jesus were speaking in our time and context and economy, the story would say, And this man owed the king hundreds of millions of dollars. An overwhelming amount. And what's the servant do? He makes an audacious request. Falls to his knees, begs and says, be patient with me. Which of course would have caused the crowd to laugh. Because they're thinking... That's preposterous. Like a little more time's gonna help you dig up several hundred million dollars? A little patience could actually help your problem? No, your situation is hopeless. And that's the point of Jesus' story. So, what's the king do? Lop off his head? Throw him in debtor's prison? Make him a slave for the rest of his life to serve it off? No. None of those things. Look at verse 27. The servants, the king took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Now you can picture the, the, the people just with their mouths hanging, mouth open, as, as they're like, he just canceled it like that. Yeah, and it all hinges on that word pity which is better translated compassion. He had pathos for the man. And so he cancels that debt of a third of a billion or half a billion dollars, just like that. Forgives him, absorbs the loss onto his own accounts and releases him from obligation. Now, Jesus is got the crowd right where he wants them because he's trying to illustrate the concept of grace. And what is grace? Grace is when we receive so much more and so much better than we ever deserve. Perhaps you, you went to Sunday school when you were a kid and you learned the little cross stick for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense that's that's what the king shows to this man he shows him grace he gives him so much more and better than he deserved because he has compassion on him but then the story takes an even wonkier turn because what does that servant do he goes out and he finds an underservant who owes him just a few thousand bucks in our terms today He's been forgiven half a billion dollars. And he finds a guy who owes him a few thousand bucks. And what does he do? He says he goes up and he grabs him and starts to choke him and says, pay up. You owe me, buddy. And you're thinking, as the crowd was thinking, how could that be right? Why isn't he showing a little bit of the grace that he was shown, right? That makes no sense. Exactly. Which is a Precisely where Jesus wanted the crowd to be thinking. Because as J.D. Greer points out, the clearest mark of God's grace, once it's been experienced as your life, in your life, is a generosity of spirit that proceeds out from you towards others. The best indicator of a heart that's been changed and touched by grace is forgiveness, forgiveness. That comes out of you towards other people who've hurt you, and love that comes out, and generosity that comes out of of your heart demonstrated towards others. And what causes this radical change? Back to that word gospel, which means good news. Yeah, let's just go through it once more. We've talked about it a thousand times and try to mention it about every week. What's the gospel? The gospel is simply an understanding that our one true God after creating humanity... Looked down upon us and saw us in our sin, and saw us in our depravity, and saw us in our rebelliousness towards God, saying, I'll do it in my own way, I'll live the way that I want to live. And though he had every reason and right, God would have to say, Enough of you, you didn't any one of you live the way that I intended for you to live, you've all gone astray. Instead of giving us what we deserved and wadding us up into a crinkled ball of paper and throwing us away and saying, I'll go and start with some other people on another planet and another galaxy, he didn't. He had compassion on us, pity, and he said, No, I'm going to come close to you and I'm going to give you so much more and so much better than you've deserved. And taking the form of a man, he came into this world, Jesus. Lived the life of sinlessness that we couldn't live. Died the death of punishment that you and I each deserved, And then on the third day, conquered the grave that we would never have the hope of conquering. Triumphing, triumphing over death and signifying to all of us, if you have linked yourself to me by faith, depending not on your own goodness, not on your own righteousness, but on my goodness and my righteousness and my gift of grace to you, then you too can have the assurance of life abundant now and everlasting eternally. That's the gospel. That's what it's all about. The late Calvin Miller used to tell us the gospel is the great H-E-A, happily ever after. It's the H-E-A that authors, and writers, and filmmakers have, have built on, even those who aren't Christians. You can, you can read book and, and, and watch movie after movie, and, and, and what happens? You see the same thing happen over. It's building to this crisis moment. This moment of hopelessness and despair. But then there's a savior figure that comes in. Someone comes in from the outside and and brings redemption and hope and transformation. It's all variations. Literature is so often of the gospel. Which just shows that deep inside the heart is the hope within every person. Even if they've not trusted in the gospel or even known the gospel of Jesus, that such a thing might be true. You certainly see it. I was thinking uh, as we just came through Christmas uh, uh, with uh, Dickens and a Christmas carol. And what happens in a Christmas carol? Dickens writes about Scrooge, this miserly, crusty, stingy old man who nobody likes and he doesn't care anything about them either. And what happens though, the spirits take him in a dreamlike fashion and show him his life of the past and how his greed and how his cruelty has done such damage to other people, shows him his life in the present and then faces him forward and forces him to look at his eventual demise where he's going to see the results of his heartlessness and his stinginess his miserliness, his cruelty. And he's forced to see that little tiny Tim is going to die prematurely. Because his family couldn't afford the medical care. Because Scrooge didn't give them very much money. And he sees that's going to happen. And he, and he foresees as well, thanks to the Spirit showing him the reactions that others are going to feel once he's gone. Which at best are sort of indifferent and at worst almost a little bit happy and relieved that he's gone. And he realizes how much he's alone and uncared for because he's chosen to be uncaring. And then he's forced to foresee his grave under which he'll lie, which is alone and neglected and desolate. And feeling utter despair and hopelessness as he's looking at his life to come. He wakes up, and it's Christmas morning. And he thought he was dead, but now he's alive. And and rather than ruining other people's lives anymore, he has another opportunity. He could change. It's not too late. What day is this, boy? It's Christmas Day. Christmas Day? Are you kidding me? They say Dickens. Had a complicated relationship with the church. But you have to think that somewhere along the way he got the gospel. He'd heard the story of the gospel because the whole story of Scrooge hinges, pivots on grace. And he experienced this hope that now comes into his heart. Now he feels caring for other people. And now he feels kind-hearted. And he says, order the great tom turkey. Send it over to them. They need to have a good turkey for, for for their Christmas. And now he's gleefully generous. No longer stingy and miserly because he's seen that all he had amassed and all that had mattered to him was going to bring no fulfillment in the end. None of it was going to save him from where he was headed. And in that experience, his money went back to being just money. Nothing more. Just money that he could use as a tool to help other people. Now, any student of Scripture cannot help but look at Scrooge and not think perhaps Dickens actually read some of the New Testament, Perhaps he knew the story of another person whose name was Lazarus. Do you remember that story? He was a man who was miserly, who was stingy, who was greedy, who was despised by society as well because he cared only for himself. He'd sold his soul out to the Roman government. Even though he was a Jewish person, he said, I'll work for you, Roman government. and I'll go door to door and I'll collect the taxes from my fellow Jewish men. And so he would collect the taxes that he was required to collect. But then tax collectors, all of them, were known to be traitorous and greedy and therefore wealthy because they'd build in profit that they'd stuff their own pocket with. After they'd given to the government what they had to give the government. So they were making themselves wealthy. Zacchaeus was a man who had, had stuffed his pockets, but he'd starved his soul all along. And though we don't know exactly from Luke chapter 19... What it was that gave him the desire, this epiphany moment to realize, you know, maybe I do need something further, something more, something better. Maybe I ought to go out and see the parade that's coming through with this man, Jesus. I've heard a little bit about him. I think I might just go out and see what that is all about. But Zacchaeus being a short man, of course, he couldn't get to the front of the parade because, well, that's how it is when you're short and when everybody hates you and they give you the elbow in your jaw because they don't want you to get any good things in life so they don't let you get up to the front to see what's going on. So he scampers up to the front of the line somewhere and he climbs up in that famous sycamore tree, which tells you right there how desperate he was that, that, a, that a wealthy person was going to scamper up a tree. That'd be like a person in today wearing a, a, a suit and tie and nice shoes and "I'll just who's going to jump up in a tree?" Nobody would do that. And that's the point. And he jumps up in the sycamore tree. And then the shocker in that story comes. When the parade stops, Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, you, you're the one. I want you to come down from that tree because I want to come into your house today. And there again, you picture the crowd. With gape mouth open, hanging, what, why? Do you know who that man is? He's greedy and he's selfish and he's lying, traitorous, cheat, sold his soul out to the Roman government. And even Zacchaeus himself is surely thinking, I don't think he may want to come into my home. Because coming to one's per, one person's home was to say, I want to have friendship with you. And, you know, Zacchaeus was like, me? You sure you got the right guy? I don't think that's God positive. Do you know who I am? I mean, I'm the guy that they all hate because I steal their money. And, you know, I don't, just surely not. And Jesus says, yes, you. I want you to come down because I want to come into your home. I want to have friendship with you, Zacchaeus. And so down he came. And though we don't know exactly what happened, what was said inside that house, what we do know is that there was the touch of grace that melted Zacchaeus' heart. He's a changed man. everything is different now. The door swings open and he says to Jesus, you know what, I I owe, boy, I owe a lot of people a lot of stuff. I'm going to go and I'm going to pay it all back. And I'm not just paying it back even. I'm going to pay multiples back. I'm going to go back and pay extra restitution and even more restitution on top of that. And then on top of that, Jesus, I... You know what, I'm wealthy anyhow. I'm just, I'm going to give away, I'm just going to give away 50% of all my money. I'm just going to give it because people, well, there's a lot of people who have needs out there. And I got so much and I don't need it all. And so I'm just going to give it away. And what does Jesus say? Does Jesus say, well, no, you're getting a little carried away. You know, 10%, that's pretty good. You know, that would probably, no. He says, truly, salvation has come to this house today. What was he saying? Jesus was saying, I can tell your heart has truly been touched by grace. You've got the good news. In that moment, see, Zacchaeus had come to realize that everything he thought was going to give him meaning and purpose was worthless. But that... In having friendship with Christ. He now had all that he could possibly ever need. And so you have this story of grace. You have this story of gospel. Now let me tell you uh, what concerns me. It concerns me that sometimes I'll, I'll talk to someone who says, oh yes, I'm a Christian. And, uh, or I'm a believer. So you know the gospel? Oh, yes, I know the gospel. And yet you look at their life and you say, but uh, all I see coming out of you is stinginess and selfishness, and rudeness. I don't know if you really, do you really have the gospel? I think it might be. Because such people have come to know the gospel up here. But they haven't come to experience the gospel down here. It's just a conceptual thing. But it hasn't become a heart-melting, transformational thing. And friends... You haven't really been transformed. You haven't really been saved until it touches your heart. Because that's when people will start to see the change. They'll start to see the kindness that comes out of you and the forgiveness that comes out. And empathy and servanthood and availability to others and generosity. So back to the question that we started with. How do you stay motivated to be generous? Simple. You go back To the gospel, you go back to the good news. You go back to recalling the multiple millions of 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 sin debts that God has forgiven and released you from. And when you ponder that, you can't help but turn towards others and say, "I could forgive." You can't help but turn to others and say, "You have a need." And I have resource. I, I can, here, let me, let me help. And you'll be generous. Because you're considering the debt of sin that you've been forgiven. When I think of grace getting more and better than you ever deserved, I, I can't help myself but going back to the day that it became more real and tangible in my life than ever. It's been nine years now. And before that day, had you told me Dr. Stuart Solomon was a a really good doctor and cardiologist, I'd have said, well, sure, whatever floats your boat. Wouldn't have had any effect on me whatsoever. Until January fifteenth, two 2015, when I found myself in his 30th floor office. When he looked into my eyes sitting three feet away from me and said, sir, What you're experiencing is not indigestion. I'm terribly sorry to tell you this, but your body is on the outskirts of having a massive heart attack. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when a doctor looks you in the eye and tells you that, you kind of sit up and time sort of stands still. But at that point, he didn't say, so, you know, good luck with that. The receptionist can take your credit card on the way out. No. He gave me so much more and better than I deserved. He said, so i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that briefcase out of your hand. I've noticed it has some books. You do not need to be carrying that. I'm going to carry that, and I want you to come with me, and we're going to get into my car, and I'm going to drive you straight to the hospital because I need to get you into the cath lab emergency uh, right now. And, and, and he walked me to his car and opened up the door and set me down and put me in a wheelchair three blocks later and rolled me across the bridge of Fannin Street. And, and I went and expedited into the cath lab and, and sure enough, his intuitions were right. My widow-making L.A.D. artery was 99.9% blocked, but he got there first and spared me that heart attack the whole thing was precluded and he said you most likely would have died tonight when it closed up I remember the next morning Suzanne had gotten down there during all of this and and the next morning she and I were in the room just recounting all that had happened and he he Dr. Solomon walked in the room and I started crying and he she started crying and we just hugged him and I was thinking about it, even this past week, because of two weeks ago, because it was the 15th of January. And I, I was thinking to myself, you know, even to this day, no matter even though it's highly unlikely. If he were to unexpectedly call me out of the blue and say, You know what? I thought of every person I can think of, and there's only one person in the whole wide world who can help me right now. I need your help. Do you know something? I would drop whatever I was doing no less than if Suzanne called or one of my boys called saying the same thing. I would get up and I would go and I would help him. How could I not? Because that day he gave me so much more and so much better than I ever deserved. And saved my physical life. But before he did that, there's one who did even better. An even greater Solomon. Jesus. Who went to the cross and died for my sins and said, I want to forgive you of your sins. And infused into my soul grace. And transformed me. And to this day, if I ever find my soul a little crustyish and I'm lacking empathy and I find I'm being a little curt and short and choppy or snippy with other people and, and I'm not being forgiving and I'm being harsh spirited and I'm not feeling generous, all I have to do is I have to access January 15th, 2015. I just ponder that for a minute, which takes me back further to Christ and to what He's done for me. And I'm telling you, it, it, it softens my heart and re me once again. And and if you've truly been touched in your heart by the goodness of God and by the grace that saves. How did Newton put it? I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. It's, it's amazing grace. How do you stay motivated to be forgiving? How do you... Stay motivated to be outwardly focused and generous in spirit. You just regospel yourself. You just go back to grace after grace after grace. You don't have to be the balloon that needs to get smacked back up. It's not a have to, it's a get to. Because when we're re the balloons, as it were, of our soul are filled with helium that makes them soar the way they were meant to be. That's what I want for me. And that's what I want for you. Let the gospel soften you. It'll change you from the inside out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... um, the grace you've shown us. All grace is amazing. But too often, Lord, we, our hearts grow busy and cold, and, and we can forget it. And, and we have to go back and be re-gospeled. It's, it's something I have to remind ourselves of: the great debt that we've been forgiven. Forgive us when we, like that servant, go out having just disregarded the the great things you've done for us. The goodness that you've shown us and we fail to show such goodness and benevolence to others. Help us, God, to go back again and again to the good news of your grace of what you've done. And friends, if, if you've not before put your trust into Christ in the first place, trusted in his amazing grace today, could be your day. The, the, the first time that you trust in him and in this good news. And even as I'm praying aloud, you can pray silently something along the lines of, Lord, just come in. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of unrighteousness. Fill me full of your Holy Spirit. Teach me what it means to be a person who's sustained by your grace and guided by your Spirit. I want to learn how to follow you and keep our hearts, Lord, all of our hearts filled with that good news from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, to the end that we might indeed be different from those who aren't believers, because we should be so different. Make us winsome, generous, contagious, gospeled followers living by grace. We pray it all in your strong name, Lord. Amen.